Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Quarterly Report Podcast, episode 197. I am your host, Armand Lee, hoping each and every one of you all are enjoying the last few weeks of summer. You can smell it in the air. The humidity is still thick, but football season is approaching. And while that may not mean a lot to me, I know it means a lot to every one of you all as the country's biggest sport is barreling towards us but not without you know some nba discussion still to be had and that's exactly what we're going to do as we're going to touch on the nba free agency and all of the specific details that are popping up including one of the more intriguing battles that is being waged right before our eyes while everybody's focused on ben simmons and what's happening with his current location i'm very much interested into the back channel saga that's being waged between Daryl Morey and one of the most influential and powerful people in NBA circles. That's Rich Paul. We're going to break that down a little bit later. All that plus, yo, 20-year-old Armand is feeling the way. Because though I love D-Block, though I love the locks, and I used to rock with the locks super hard, there was one New York act, excluding Nas, but there was one New York act. It wasn't Hove, it wasn't Rockefeller, it wasn't G-Unit, it wasn't none of them. The one entity out of New York who I was rocking with super hard, even more than the locks, was Diplomats. And boy, it was an ugly, ugly, ugly turn of events on Tuesday. I'm breaking that down and so much more. But first, we're heading to our nation's capital for our first topic this week. First quarter. Thankfully, I've been able to do this podcast for about four and a half years. And for many of you all, you've been rocking with me this entire time. And I appreciate you a great deal because throughout this kind of, this road that we've been on as an independent podcast, you know, I've, you see me grow as a parent. I would have, I think you kind of hear me grow as a host as well. Different ideas, uh, different segments along the way. And maybe even kind of my identity. I would I would like to think, right, that I've improved and my identity has become uh, much more clear as a uh, host. And as someone, I don't even really want to call myself a host. You know what I'm saying? But like somebody who, who kind of steers the ship of this podcast or whatever this thing is. And that's natural evolution. You know, we all would want to evolve as we grow. I mean, that's basically half a decade of my life have been poured into this on damn near a weekly basis though you know we've missed a few weeks but we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show in terms of what you can expect from this show and what day because we are switching things up but i bring this all up because despite the growth despite the 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 added gray hairs in the beard despite what I hope is an evolution of and an improvement of this show. There are still some core principles that I hang my hat on. Episode 196, I talked about parody. This has been something that I've been talking about even before we had this show. Before I started talking about this show, I was talking about how there's not really that much parody in the NFL. And I like to think it painted a pretty good picture of that. 
But another thing that I've been talking about for four and a half years plus now, because if you know me, you've heard me say this time and time again. Despite the fact, despite the fact that I was wrong about Bradley Bill throughout his first four years of his career. Despite the fact that I will come out and say it in front of anybody who's willing to listen, that I had that completely wrong. And that he is far better a player than I could have ever envisioned. I have consistently said that the Wizards need to blow whatever it is that they think they have up. That they, like the Raptors before them, and the Blazers who are probably going to do it in a matter of weeks, if not months. That the Wizards need to identify and recognize that in the NBA, throughout the history of this league, building through your backcourt is not a recipe for success unless you have an all-time great. Not a current great. Not a great of his generation. Not an all-star level player. Not even if you squint hard enough an all-NBA player. No, no, no. You need a Steph Curry. You need a James Harden. You need a Chris Paul. <laughs> okay? You need all-time greats to build your team through your backcourt. And if you don't have one, then you're just running in circles. And for whatever reason, the Washington Wizards... They are now the dog that chases its tail, even, even when everyone, every dog in the dog park, the owners try to, doesn't matter. You get the ring around the collar with the uh, the dog. They still doing it. And let me make this thing perfectly clear. I follow really two teams. Like I love the NBA. Obviously, I love the NBA and I am engaged and I follow the league in a way that, you know, I just have never even wanted to in terms of team sports in any other league. Like I am that much invested in the NBA. I love their product, though. I like to think I look at the NBA as a way a lover looks at their partner. Right. I can identify that I love the NBA while still not being, you know, what, not wearing rose-colored glasses. I can identify the flaws of the league, where I think they need to improve, where I think that they're strong. And even though I have criticism, and I have critiques of the league, I still love it. And I like to think I can use that, the same, that same vision when it comes to my favorite team, the New York Knicks. I wasn't always like this. I'm always reminded of a conversation I had with a buddy of mine, shout out to Ian McCoy. We were back at an old employment. This is years ago. It's maybe 10 years now. And I was telling him, it's like, man, I can look at the league in a certain manner, but when it comes to the Knicks, I become extremely biased. And he was like, you're absolutely right. And even though I was able to identify it, hearing confirmation from an outside body saying, hey, yo, yeah, you're right. You're super biased with your Knicks. I have tried to beat that out of me. Now, it also helps that the Knicks throughout that time 
with the exception of like two seasons, have been absolute trash. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like the Knicks have had two good years. One of those two literally just happened. So I've been able to work on it. We'll see if if the Knicks ever become, you know, anything worth bragging about. But we'll see if that's the true test. If I'm able to kind of leave my biases, my personal biases completely at the door. But I like to think that I can. And I and although I am a Knicks fan, I am an extremely invested in the Wizards, more so than any other team outside of the Knicks. And this isn't just in the NBA, mind you. I don't have a favorite football team. I don't have a favorite baseball team. I don't have a favorite college football team, hockey, you name it. It's the Knicks. And then it's the Wizards. So I'm very much invested in how this team moves. And for four plus years, four and a half years of this show, countless other years before, I have been pleading with the Wizards. I remember when Bradley Bill was coming out of Florida and all of the rumors were that the, the, the Thunder wanted Bradley Bill and that they were offering up James Harden. And I was screaming that the Wizards should absolutely do that because this... This is not James Harden like we know him now. This is the James Harden who people thought was only good because he's playing with Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. This is the James Harden that people, friends of mine, thought that Eric Gordon was better than. And I've done this spiel a bunch of times. You have to look at something other than PPG because I promise you, and there's no way I can prove it to you, but you know, there's no need for me to lie here. I knew James Harden was going to be special. Didn't know he was going to be this. Didn't know he was going to be one of the all-time greats. But I knew he was a superior player. And that even though you already had John Wall, that if you brought James Harden along too, you have two great players. And if they don't work, you trade whichever one isn't the best. Bradley Beal is a phenomenal scorer of the basketball. And that may sound like a backhanded compliment. I promise you it's not. Because too many players in this league aren't great at anything. Anything. Bradley Bill's great at the most important thing in basketball. He can score. But their levels, right? Bradley Bill is a very important player. He's an extremely talented player top 25-ish player in this league. I genuinely believe that. But the Wizards have tried and tried and tried and tried to fit this square peg in this round hole. They've done it so many times. Different. They've tried to change the color, change the jerseys. They tried to change the, the shape of the square peg, right? They tried to change the hole. Man, first it was John, and then it was Russ. Change the coach. Change all of this. But it, the fact still remains that the peg that they're holding does not fit into the hole. And now we're bringing in Spencer Dinwiddie. You know, I named this episode Show Your Math. 
and it's such a I mean this is gonna be something that we're gonna hammer home throughout this show. So please don't get annoyed by it. But it's something that I think is so vital, not just when you're doing algebra or geometry or trigonometry, whatever the case may be, but in life, right? I have my daughter. Y'all know her. Shout out to the beautiful, my baby. And she'll be 11 soon. And basically for like the last, for half of her life, she and I work with math. You know, I, I, I'm a, I, I've always enjoyed math. I think far too often and, you know, far too often, particularly in the black community, teachers don't put like STEM, you know, STEM is very important for girls, particularly minority girls, black girls, because it's not taught that way. And then stereotypes are then moved that, hey, you know, these are girls they are not going to be into science. Right. That's one of the big stereotypes. That's unfortunate because there's so many young ladies, so many women who could have been whatever. Right. But they weren't pushed. They weren't even not even pushed. They weren't exposed. That stereotype exists when it comes to black people, when it comes to math. I, I was really, really good at math. I love math. And thankfully, I had parents and a sister who introduced me to math because my teachers never did. And I want to pay it for it with my daughter. I say all of that to say this. My daughter sometimes will get a problem wrong. Like we all do. But when she shows her work, I get, okay, she didn't see this, this remainder. Or we carried this number over and she didn't see it. So when she does her math, you know, the value in the 10,000th place is off by one. But she did the process right. She just had an oversight. You can get a problem wrong, right? But if your process is correct, I'm cool with it. No one's going to get every question right every single time. But if you understand the process, if I know that you understand the process, cool. We can work with that. Because the next time you do it, there's not going to, the, the odds are there's not going to be that oversight. You understand, if you show your work, I can know if you get it or not. Likewise, you can get an answer right. Multiple choice, we all love those, right? Multiple choice answers, questions. And if you just stump, shit. If you got four questions, you got a 25% chance. You know, I love odds. 25% chance of winning. If I told you you played the lottery tonight, you have a 25% chance of winning it. Every motherfucker listening to my voice better play because 25% is a huge number if you're talking about odds. So if you have a multiple choice question, you have a 25% and you only have four options, you got a 25% chance of getting it right. And if you do, man, tip of the cap. But that doesn't mean even if you get the answer right, doesn't mean you understand it. Show your work. Because if you show your work, I can see, man, was this just luck? Was this just luck happenstance? Was this just a blessing? Or do you did you put yourself in position? Do you understand the method? Do you understand what needs to be done to build a winner? Show your math. And it's not just something that exists in math. 
You don't have to have an 11-year-old child to get that, right? And showing your math is something that I've kind of adopted when it comes to the NBA, particularly front office work and team building. I told you guys, I'm a Knicks fan. Free agency starts. We re-sign Derrick Rose, re-sign Nerlens Noel, re-sign Alex Burke, and then sign Evan Fournier. And without knowing the details, I look at that and I'm like, what the fuck did the Knicks just do? We had all of this cap space. We didn't take on bad contracts to, to bring in extra picks like the Thunder are doing. And y'all know how I feel about Presti and the Thunder. But everything works, you know, moderation. Everything exists, exists in moderation. We didn't choose that strategy. We just doubled down on basically the same team. And I was like, yo, this is crazy. We had the 19th pick. We traded out of it. We are basically telling the league, yo, this is our team and we're comfortable. Showing the work. I wasn't feeling that. And then it comes out that, okay, Derrick Rose is a three-year deal, but it's a two-year deal. Third year is a team option. Alec Burke, three-year deal, third year is a team option. Nerlens Noel, three-year deal, third year is a team option. Evan Fournier is a four-year deal, fourth-year team option. And then they signed Kimball Walker for $8 million. And though, that's a lot of ifs. Kimball's got bad knees. Derrick Rose is old. Nerlens Noel can't catch. He's insurance if Mitch Robinson stays healthy. So if Mitch is healthy, if RJ takes a, uh, another step, another leap, if Kemba's knees are healthy, we've got a pretty good team. That's at least three ifs right there, right? The likelihood, the odds are that all of those ifs don't happen. But even with Julius Randle's extension, this year there's no player on this team who's making more than $25 million. In fact, there's no player on our team who's going to be making $30 million. You show your work. Hey, you're like, okay. I, I hope that they understand that this team's ceiling is the first round. This team isn't going to beat anybody. I don't see this team being a, a top three seed. So I don't see them beating a Miami a Milwaukee, a Brooklyn, and damn sure not Atlanta. I don't see it. But I think this team is good enough to make it to the playoffs. But that's okay because the expectations aren't that high. Your highest paid player, player this season is going to be $25 million. And that sounds nuts. But you also have to look at today's game. Julius Randle is going to be their highest paid player. He's 26 years old, just coming off a second team on NBA. By no means am I the biggest Julius Randle fan. But the expectations of that, when you look at the money, okay, clearly they have their eyes set on a potential future disgruntled star, <coughs> Zion, <coughs> excuse me. And the Knicks are just kicking the can down the road, something that they've become far too comfortable at doing. I say that as a contrast to the Wizards, because look, the Wizards and the Knicks this season, they have the same ceiling. They're both teams who will likely lose in the first round, if not the plan. But the difference, this is why you have to show your math, show your work. The difference is 
This is year two of this next team, of this incarnation. And I told you the money, how the money looks. No big time player. Julius Randle was a second team all NBA player, but he's not getting 30 million plus. He's not signed to some absorbent contract. Nope. Matter of fact, Julius Randle, the average of his new extension is $28 million. On a five-year deal, fifth-year, I think, a player option. Spencer Dinwiddie's annual average value of his contract is $20 million. Don't tell me that Julius Randle's only $8 million better than Spencer Dinwiddie coming off an ACL. And I'm not comparing the two, trust me. Because, again, it's not like the Knicks are this great team. The Knicks and the Wizards are on the same tier in terms of the way I look at it. If you were talking about wins and losses and uh, the forecast for this upcoming season. And though Julius Randle made second team all NBA, Julius Randle's not a better player than Bradley Bill. Bradley Bill's a better player than Julius Randle. But if you got this piece dangling and you've had Brad for four plus years of me being on this podcast saying, blow it up, blow it up, blow it up. You've got this piece that is coveted Bradley Bill, and the ceiling, the ceiling is the first round. What are you doing? What are you doing? What's the purpose of keep? Because look, man, the Wizards have had time. In fact, they've had an absorbent amount of time because credit to Tommy Shepard. He, he was able to get Bradley Bill to sign the extension. So you've had an additional two years to get what a... Hey, man, I've had guys like my guy, Osmond Bay, my guy, Ben Standick, my guy, Troy Halliburton. I mean, there have been so many, Kevin Broom, so many smart, intelligent people who are plugged into the Wizards, people who, who, who know the, the newsmakers behind the scenes. So many people have come in and, and they've told me, like, hey, man, you got Brad. He's a talented player. Why not? Give it one more year and let's see what happens. And you know what? I think I've been reasonable. I disagree. But if you've got a player who you consider a top 20, some people think a top 15-ish player, and you don't have your back's not up against the wall just yet, sure. Give yourself the year. You got the extension. Okay. I felt confident that I knew what was going to happen, but I've been wrong. I've been wrong, clearly been wrong about Brad. Made a huge mistake to be in a Nick fan. So clearly, I can absolutely be wrong. So why not? But that's the problem. You keep on saying, give me one more year. Why not? Let's see it. Let's run it back. Why not? At some point, you run out of years. And now we are in the make it or break it time for the Wizards. They've just given, give me first, give credit to Tommy Shepard. Masterful, masterful GMing to get out of Russell Westbrook and then to somehow loop in Spencer Dinwiddie into the Westbrook trade so you don't have to move off any assets. 
The Lakers were so desperate in Russell Westbrook that they considered Russell asset. So you can move that albatross of a contract and then scoop in Spencer Dinwiddie. Let me make this perfectly clear. Spencer Dinwiddie is not better than Russell Westbrook. Even after last year, Spencer Dinwiddie, you'll see all these articles and you've already probably seen them. Oh man, he gets to the rim. Look at the free throw rate. Look at his size. He's creative with his dribble. He can penetrate. Look at our number of attempts at the rim. Boom. Spencer Dinwiddie gets to the rim. And he gets to the rim at a high rate. And he goes to the free throw line. And he's phenomenal at penetrating. He's a 41% career shooter. want to say he has an effective field goal percentage of 47. Maybe 48. So if he's this great at getting to the rim, one must ask, what the hell is, why, why is this free throw or field goal percentage so low? The easy answer is, oh, well, you know, he takes a lot of bad shots. Spencer Dinwiddie's 28 years old. Just, just was given a $20 million contract. Do you think he's just going to stop taking the shots? He literally was just rewarded. You think he's now going to stop? Also, by the way, he's coming off his second ACL tear. You think that means he's going to start going to the rim more? Just blew out his knee. He's going to start attacking the rim more? Huh. Now, look, I'm not saying that Spencer Dinwiddie's an awful basketball player. I don't think he's awful at all. He's, he's a fine player. But how many times are we going to try to jam this square peg into the round hole? First, it was John. Then it was Westbrook. Now it's Spencer fucking Dinwiddie. Meanwhile, Brad's been here. Increasing his PPG every single year. Getting worse on defense every single year. Creating, getting the offensive bag that y'all love so much. Having a diversity. I mean, again, Bradley Bill's an elite scorer of the basketball. But Bradley Bill does nothing else. And the Wizards continue to tell themselves that this is a building block. No, he's not. Bradley Bill's a phenomenal supplemental piece, man. If you have a building block, a real building block, add Bill to that. Oh my gosh, you cooking with something. You you are a contender. Fringe or not, just depends on how great that that core piece is. But you can't act like Bill is the core piece, and that's no disrespect to him. This is me telling you I've been wrong about him in the past. But if you can't tell what's clear as day. Well, then what are we doing? What are the Wizards doing? I'm listening to Wizards After Dark podcast with my guy, um, Ben Stanley, going as a guest with Fred Katz. And Ben, and he and I have disagreed about this for years now. But even he has come to the conclusion, like, you have Bill now. And you've moved off John and you've moved off Russ. And, you know, his perspective was, you know, what those guys aren't good players or they're not the ideal players to have in a locker room if you're going to do a full rebuild for just different reasons. And I think some some of that stuff is pretty obvious, but some of it also is conjecture. 
But Russ gone. John is gone. You look at this team and while they have depth now, I still don't think of them as an, a, a good defensive team. I still don't look at these guys as players who are going to make other players better. There's still no special player. Just like the Knicks. No special player on the Knicks. There's no special player on the Wizards. But again, show me your math. Show me your work. The Knicks aren't paying a Bradley Bill. The Knicks don't have anybody. Even Julius Randle coming off a second team all NBA. He's not, he doesn't have the value of a Bradley Bill. I promise you, if the Knicks had somebody that valuable, well, then yeah, those Damian Lillard rumors, they could actually finally be some steam behind it. The Knicks don't have anybody who you could just say, hey, let's flip him and we can get this package. The Wizards do. And now the Wizards are legit eyeing the potential of letting Bradley Beal walk for nothing. I don't know if he wants to stay. Bradley Beal can shock the world and re-sign with the Wizards any day. He can be like, dog, I want to stay here. Extend me. Full. He can do it at the end of the year. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know what he's going to do. I have my idea. I have my thoughts. But hey, stranger things have happened. But this is why I have to look at Tommy Shepard and say, yeah, man, you, you made these amazing moves. And these are great moves. I wouldn't even say the Russell Westbrook move was a move around the margins. No, that was a significant, hell, great, phenomenal, hell of a decision, hell of a GM process by Tommy Shepard. And now, and though that was a significant move, what it didn't really move, it didn't change your team. The team was still a fringe playing first round fodder team with Russell Westbrook. They're still a fringe playoff playing first round fodder team anyway. So moving Russell Westbrook, despite the fact that this was this phenomenal move and this genius stroke by Tommy Shepard, it hasn't changed anything with the Wizards yet. That's the one. What are we doing? You're going to run it back again? You're going to run it back again? Apparently, Kyle Kuzma has value with Sacramento and Minnesota. Well, we cool with Kyle Kuzma. Okay. Y'all know how I felt about the Bertans deal. Didn't think it. Didn't like it. Not because Bertans is... is this awful player was this was this huge overpay. So that you know you shouldn't, in my opinion, you shouldn't pay for a specialist if you're fighting for a playoff. Like if if you're just fighting for a chance at the playoffs, well, spending money on a specialist makes no sense. People looked at me crazy and said, "Oh man, look at Duncan Robinson. Look at Duncan Robinson's contract." Oh well, Duncan Robinson's contract makes sense. Miami believes that they're a championship contender. If you are a contender, shooting is a is is a, is, is an asset. So you're going to have to spend money to keep your shooters. Okay. You feel you're going to go, you feel you have a chance at a championship. The biggest Wizards supporter knows that there ain't no damn chance in hell the Wizards win the championship this year or throughout the course of Davis Bertine's contract. Unless something crazy happens. 
And the one chance that the Wizards have to make something crazy happen is the guy that keep on trying to slam inside of a round hole. Bradley Bill's not LeBron, y'all. He's not KD. He's not Luka. He's not Giannis. He's not Steph. And that's okay. He's not Kawhi. That's okay. He doesn't have to be. He's a phenomenal player the way he is. But you got to know that. You have to understand that. Because there's a difference between overlooking where you put the decimal at. There's a difference between having a brain fart and saying four times one is is five as opposed to four, right? Sometimes that shit is going to happen for sure. That's why you have to show your work because everyone makes mistakes. Sometimes you can get the answer wrong even though I know you understand what you're doing. What I fear though is that the Wizards have no clue they're not showing their work. And I'm looking at their work. I'm asking them to show their math and I'm looking at it and I'm saying, damn, y'all not, y'all don't understand this. You may have gotten the answer right a few years ago. You may have gotten the answer right with the rush book trade, but I don't know if you understand. I don't know if you get this. I hope for Wizards fans they do. I hope for Wizards fans, Bradley Bill signs the extension. If that's what y'all want, and y'all comfortable like the owner is, just making the playoffs and being relevant. If that's what you want, dog, I hope you like it. I love it. And that's the thing. If if that's what you want to say, if you're saying, hey, man, I want to keep Bill because at least when we have Brad, I get to see at least two playoff games. At least. Okay. Dog, whatever. I'm not out here judging anybody. But what bothers me or the thing that scares me is that people are thinking that Bradley Bill is the piece to flip this thing around. He's not. Other teams are looking at Brad. Other teams who have star players already locked in, they're looking for Brad to supplement them and then to push them over the top. There's a huge difference between being a core and being a player that pushes you over the top. The Wizards have had ample amount of time to realize what he is for this organization. But unfortunately, they're running out of time to cash the chips. I want to know what you guys think about that first quarter, man. Wizards fans specifically. Y'all see, Brad. Because a lot of people just look at the 32 points per game and they're like, damn, Bradley Beal. Brad can score with the best of them. He's not even a three-level scorer anymore, though. Three-point shot is gone. But he's still a phenomenal player. I'm not even going to lie. He's a great offensive player, great scorer. Great score. But if he was as great as we thought he is, you're not just scratching and clawing for a plan. And get blown out by the Sixers with all the shit that they were dealing with. It's not adding up. But I want to hear from you guys. Let me know what your thoughts are. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com or tweet at the show at quarterlyshow. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. 
All right, guys, you know, we're going to step away from the basketball court for just a bit. But we're staying in Madison Square Garden. You know, I talked to you guys about how much of a Knicks fan I am. And, you know, though I'm not from New York. But the Knicks free agency, that was a strong story this week. But the biggest story coming out of the Garden, coming out of New York this week, had nothing to do with basketball. It had everything to do with two crews out of the Big Apple. I'm breaking down the versus battle between the locks. It won't even a battle, bro. Between the locks and and the diplomats. That's our second topic this week. Second quarter. Tuesday night. I was so ready. When I tell you from the last week and a half, two weeks, I have been listening, curating diplomat playlists. I was so ready Tuesday night. I'm talking about, I'm listening to... Come Home With Me, From Me To You, Hustler's Poem, Diplomatic Immunity 1, 2. It's over and over. I'm getting myself ready. It's feeling like 2007 all over again. 2006. I mean, it, it was it was crazy. Get home from work. I knew it wasn't going to start on time. I couldn't. Come home, take a shower, get myself ready, and I'm, I'm ready to go. And you couldn't imagine how shocked I was 30 minutes into the, to the versus battle. For those of you who do not know, it was an epic, a historic, and a night that I don't think many of us would ever forget, well, won't soon forget, I should say. This past Tuesday, as a versus battle, a versus which I had long thought had jumped the shark. I want to say before this battle, the only recent one, and when I say recent, I mean within the last six months or so, that I saw was our Isleys versus Earth, Wind & Fire. Like I hadn't even paid attention to some of these versus battles anymore because it just felt so... It just felt different than how it started about a year or so ago. You know, when I think of verses, I think of that Sean Garrett and Dream, the, the initial one, and how funny and how and how much of a family, you know, environment that was. Before it was so big and it felt like it was intimate. Where, you know, it wasn't a lot of and I say this not as a specific term, but outsiders, meaning people who are unfamiliar. Right? Dream and Sean Garrett. Sean Garrett you know, you have to be aware of who he is to even want to watch that. And there are a lot of people who have now since jumped on the versus bandwagon. You see, you know, Burger King and McDonald's and Sprint and T-Mobile and all these other motherfuckers just in in the, the chat just to ride the wave. And we're going to get to that wave in a moment. But I remember last year in the Sean Garrett and the Dream. The Manny Fresh. I forget Buddy's name, man. It's, I'm, I'm getting old. It's, I'm drawing blanks. But I remember T-Pain and Lil John. You understand? Bounty Killer and Beanie Man. Jill Scott, Eric Badu. You feel me? Like, we had some... Like, the first versions of... Of the versus battle, man, they were they were Scott Storch. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, Manny Fresh and Scott Storch. 
that, you know, we had moments. I, I enjoyed it so much. It was so fun. And it was really like a family reunion. We were stuck in the house. We needed something to do. And hell, man, let's, mu let, let's have music bring us together. But then it got big and Triller and they selling stuff. And it was like, all right, this is my stop. But oh boy, pardon the pun. But yo, when I saw that it was Diplomats and Locks, let me tell you a little bit about myself. From Richmond, Virginia, very much a Southern hip hop fan. And in the early 2000s, with the exception of Nas, and again, I listened to Hove, but I was never a big, I mean, I was a fan of Hove, don't get me wrong, he was dope. But I was not the big Jay-Z fan that so many other people were. Like, Hove was never really the guy for me. So when it came to New York rap, again, Nas I hold in kind of rarefied air. But outside of Nas, it was literally D-Block and Dipset. And if you are in the D.C. or Richmond area, probably in you know, Philly as well, you know, those mixtapes, those P-Cutter mixtapes, them joints was big. That was a big thing, early 2000s. And this is kind of how I would get my D-Block mixtapes and my Diplomat mixtapes. And this was big, like, like, seriously. I was listening to Scarface, past Detroit, always listened to Cast, always had an old UGK tape on me, right? And then it was like Diplomats and D-Block. That's, that's how I got down in the early 2000s. So when I saw that these two were coming at it, I was so excited. But I can't lie. The first thing that comes to my mind is, okay, damn, Diplomat's going to watch these dudes. <laughs> Silly me. But you understand why one would think that the bigger songs are all Diplomat slash Cameron. Jimmy too. Like, think about the big songs. The locks have a lot of great features, but even their songs. So I'm starting to do the math in my head and I'm like okay what 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 are the what are the locks go-to's okay well banned for TV oh shit cam is on banned for TV right you know locks are going to get that off but then what if cam takes it first because again he's on that we gonna make it you know we make gonna make it on there reservoir dogs you know it's gonna be on there Knock yourself out. You know it's going to be on there. Holiday. You know it's going to be on there. You know what I'm saying? By your side. Like, you know the songs that they have, but, like, they don't have an old boy. Oh, All About the Benjamins would be, right? So, but again, that's not their song. You know they got All About the Benjamins. You know they got We Gonna Make It. Those are the two hammers and band for TV. Those are the three guns that they got that's going to try to shoot everything. But again, I'm starting to think in my head, because if you've ever watched one of these verses, you know how you sequence your songs are so vital. So vital. You have to have the sequencing down packed. And what I mean by that is you can't try to build momentum. You can't start off with one being your six. Nah. We play space before you gonna have to draw the if you got if you got a big one, throw that bad boy out. If I got the big joker, if I got an ace, and I got a king of spades, then okay. 
I'm looking at you and I'm like, okay, shit. If I got these three, because again, banned from TV, all about the Benjamins, we gonna make it. That's the three big ones. Two of them aren't even their songs. One of them, Cam is on it. Whereas I look at Diplomats, I'm thinking, okay, shit, we got Old Boy. We got Ballin'. We got Dipset Anthem. We still got I, I Really Mean It. We got Santana's Town. We got five joints. We got five of them. You understand? Make no mistake, the diplomats have the better songs. They absolutely do. But what was beautiful about what the locks did is that showmanship and professionalism still matters. I turn on, locks come out with fuck you. <laughs> you feel me? To me, uh, you know what? Let me take my time. <laughs> Locks come out. They let you know what time it is off the rip. Fuck you. <laughs> Again, one of the Locks' better songs as that's theirs. Because you think about it. The Locks have a lot of albums. Jada's got a lot of albums. Styles has got a lot of albums. And then they got all the bad boy shit, all the rough riders shit. There's a lot of songs to get off for the locks. They've got a lot of, their catalog is large. You feel me? But one of their best songs as a group that's actually theirs is Fuck You. And that's how they start. That's the tone. If I was out, because I was such a Diplomat fan. And again, I love D-Block and I love Diplomats. But I was a significantly bigger Diplomats fan than I was D-Block. And now, throughout the week after Tuesday, excuse me, I find myself asking, man, if I was in the room with them to break down kind of how to go, how would you start? The first song, if I'm Diplomats, the first song I'm going with is Oh Boy. To start it off, Oh Baby, Come on. Killer. All the girls see the look at his kicks. Look at his car. All I say is, come on, Slim. How you not start with that? That was the problem. It was very clear. And if you guys aren't even hip-hop heads, I know some of you, a lot of you are. Some of you guys probably have no clue who I'm talking about, what songs I'm singing. Damn, man, I feel bad for you. But if you want... Indulge me. That's the way you start off the show. Bro, I'm you watch, I'm gonna wrap this up. You watch the diplomats versus D Block, and it was clear. It was like seeing the guy from your hood, from your block, who's the illest ball player. Nobody can fuck with him. Don't matter what court you go. So you in your hood, you go to the next hood over. He's still fucking by himself. You go run up the hill where everybody comes on Saturday and he busting everybody's ass. Matter of fact, he not the best dude in your hood. He not the best dude on your block. He not the best dude on your side. He the best dude in your city. Matter of fact, he the best baller in the state, in your region. Tri-state area, mid-Atlantic, southern, 
Midwest, don't matter. This is the guy. Street ball on lock. This dude gets it. We all know the guy who's so ill. You ever get in a run? Oh, man, shit, that's my man. Nah, we together, that's my man, right? That was what diplomats were. They came out like the street dude who everybody know, damn, he run these blocks. These, these courts right here, you can't see him. But this is also the same dude who's smoking before, he playing. Don't stretch. You feel me? Got a little bit of a gut. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You feel me? You know what I'm talking about. The dude real, real nice, but he hood nice. What we saw Tuesday night was the hood nice dude game seven of the NBA finals. If you just plucked him from your hood and just dropped him Warriors Cavs game seven 2016. That motherfucker gonna be a liability. Tired, huffing and puffing, can't stay on the floor, fouling out, getting the other team in the penalty. Don't know how to dribble to their left, checking every single shot. Not no backdoor cuts, can't set screens, doesn't box out, you getting killed on the glass. That's what that's what it was. Diplomats versus the locks turned out to be the hood court dude, the hood street ball guy in the league. So you could be 6'6 in the hood and you looking real ill. You 6'6 in the league, you just another guy. They, they got the target on your back on defense. They going at your neck every night. You remember Rafer? It was so bad, man. Everybody carrying the NBA, but when Rafer was carrying, that shit looked extra dramatic, right? They had to stop Maine's whole flow. It's different. It's levels. The locks were prepared. Dog, they DJ. You could tell. I don't know if you guys saw the Fat Joe interview on IG. Not an interview. He did like a breakdown of it. It was so funny. It was so thorough. It was so great. But one of the things that made it so great, it was so accurate. When Fat Joe said the locks were like Jedis and they had plans, they had shit mapped out perfectly. Fat Joe made the mention, yo, they going to come at you, Sheik. And when they do, bomb, we going Reservoir Dogs. Again, not a lock song, but get the shit off. Jewels, when they come at you, bong. He gonna say some shit on his own, man. Y'all ain't got no, y'all got no song for the ladies. Okay. Ride or die chick, not your song. Honey remix, not your song. You feel me? You know what I'm saying? They gonna go bong, bong, bong. Jennifer Lopez, Jenny for the block, not your song, but you want it. Hell, even Cam, they dropped Welcome to New York City. Cam, Cam and Hove, with all the shit that was going on at that point between them two, Cam and Hove, Welcome to New York City in the garden. Cam feeling himself, because again, hear me when I say this. This is what the this is the picture that I want you to paint, or this is the paint the picture that I'm painting. I want you to understand. Cam plays the better song. You can be out with your folks. You could be at a party. It don't matter where you are. You could be in your crib working out. If you hear Welcome to New York City, Cameron, Jay-Z, or you hear New York, New York, Ja Rule, 
Jadakiss, Fat Joe. Everybody knows what song is better. But diplomats walked into the booby trap. Cam was feeling himself. Harlem motherfucker. Y'all know what time it is. He dropped Welcome to New York City. Thinking, hey man, this ain't even in our last five. I'm throwing this here like a, at nine or ten or eleven. Dropping the napalm. And he said, you ain't got nothing for that. And Kiss, who had already worked up the crowd, the showman that he is, the lock said, we ain't got nothing for that. Come on. I got a hundred guns, a hundred clips. I'm from New York. Mother, that song is hard. Don't get me wrong. Jock threw that shit out as a lifesaver. And nobody was fucking with it. That's a hard-ass song. Cold-ass song. I don't even like New York. And I remember when that song came out, I was like, yep, Jack got him one. I thought. Again, nobody's going to say New York is a better song than Welcome to New York City. Nobody will say it. But the way the locks carried that shit, the showmanship, the sequencing, Cam was making it like, dog, y'all got nothing. It was already, It was already over for them. So when you hear that doom, you feel me? Everybody erupts because it was the showmanship. That's the shit you learn from Diddy. That's the shit you learn from Puff. How to work the crowd. Man, diplomats had the better songs. They coming out. L's don't know the words. <clears throat> Jimmy out here looking like he too cool for school. Cam was doing his best. The first half of that, of, of that versus was literally Cam trying to stay afloat. And Cam was getting busy. Cam was going for it. But the locks had that shit done so perfectly. They set booby traps all over the place. And each one they set diplomats ran right on over. The DJ and the locks well, it was like the DJ was the fourth member. Like he was Jay Hood. Like he was the fourth member of the locks because they was all synced. They both, they all knew how to do how to do it. So the locks, knowing that they don't have the better songs, what they do? Oh, we gotta flip it. A, Jadakiss stole the show. He was the star of the show. He knew that he could get shit off. Now. It's crazy, right? Because Cam, again, these some Harlem motherfuckers. So you would imagine these guys could pop shit off and be slick with it. But they didn't want to touch and kiss. It was almost like these dudes were offended. You want to know why? <clears throat> Els comes up, he drinking out the bottle. Jim, he come up already high. Cam already carrying it like, hey, man, I'm killer. Again, Harlem shit. The locks, they were wide-eyed and ready. They knew the assignment. And Jadakiss was ready for this moment. Make no mistake. Kiss saw this shit as his hit. This was the lick for him. He hit a lick like a motherfucker. Because the, the biggest takeaways from this is A, the locks dominated and Kiss stole the show. There is no story for the diplomats. Other than damn, man, how that happened? 
I'm texting my homeboy Keith, and he's like, dog, I don't know. They lost with the better songs. I'm looking to myself. I'm thinking, okay, I'm starting off with old boy. Because you got you don't have anything for that. You feel me? They were waiting to, for, for, for diplomats to play balling so they could play Benjamins. You get it. You Everybody had to know that. You had to know, okay, what's the locks thing? The locks thing is either ban from TV, we gonna make it, and Benjamins. Those are day three. If you know that's day three, <clears throat> you know they're gonna end or we gonna make it. So I would have flipped it. I would have end, ended on balling. Make them play, we gonna make it before they want to. Because they were gonna use Benjamins as the response to balling. Start with old boy and with balling. Easy money. My last five songs from Diplomats would have been on some balling in my last song. 19 would have been dips. Uh, dip, um, I would have gone with we. Um, I really mean it. Three, I would have did Santana. Or the third 17 song or 18 song would have been Santana's Town. <clears throat> 17th song would have been Built This City on Rock. And the last, in the 15th, or the, the fifth song I would have put, ended with would have been um, ROC. So again, ROC, Built This City, Santana's Town, uh, I really mean it, Ballin'. Those are my final five. The lot couldn't go five songs like that. That's easy money. So if that's my final five, Dog, look at how I'm starting this shit. I'm starting off with Old Boy. Off. That's my first song, Easy Money. Second song, I'm going to play Band from TV before you do. Because I know that's one of your hammers. That's one of your three A-bombs. But my guy is on that song too. So even though when you think of Band from TV, you think Nature, you think then you think Locks. Oh, I'm sorry, you think pun first, in my opinion, you go pun, nature, locks, cams, cam and ori. Although all of the dudes rapping on that song did their motherfucking thing. Let's not make it like that. Cam got busy too. But you think of the locks before you think of cam. But if cam plays that shit first, I'm stealing steam from you. Because, yeah, you can go ahead and play it, but if you're going to play it after I play it, that shit look crazy. You got to put this time and effort into... You're sequencing when you do a verse. This is easy money. First song, oh boy. Second song, I'm going with Band from TV. Then, repping time. I don't even think they played repping time. You feel me? They didn't play repping time. They played Killer Cam. They didn't play repping time. I was like, what are y'all doing? Now, I may have missed it. I may have missed it. Because, you know, when I saw Joel's fumbling words, I had to turn that shit off. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> it hurt me. Thought they ain't playing monster music. Did they play uh, Santana's Town 1? I know they play Santana's Town 2. I don't even know if they play Santana's Town. That's one of their hammers. Look what you can do. They didn't play that. This is what I'm saying. They was drunk when they put their... Jada Kiss and Styles and, and Sheik, they calling audibles. 
They was like, oh, we ain't got no girl song. Ride or die. They had that on deck. <laughs> they had that on deck. And that tells you the showmanship. They took that shit seriously. You could tell they wanted that. Jimmy was popping all this shit before the verses. And he get up there and he pull his chain out while he's singing We Fly. I'm like, come on, bro. And they put ball in that like number 13. What are you doing? Have some respect for your for your classics. You can't just throw balling out like it's just a random song, dog. They Yo, man, they were so high. I don't know what the fuck was going on. But one thing I will say, it was tense. It won't as tense as Jeezy and Gucci, but it was tense up there for a second. I thought it was going to be some things. I was worried. But luckily, everybody kept cool. You were from Harlem. It was a tough night for you. I was a Diplomat fan. And again, I like both of them. But I felt bad Tuesday night. I was like, bro, I did not see that coming at all. But credit where credit is due. I forget who it was who tweeted it, but it was so obvious on Tuesday night. You could tell the locks really love each other, bro. You could tell that's a brotherhood. And that's not to say, you know, they've probably had more than their fair share of beefs between the three. You know it. But there's a love, a genuine love there between them brothers, man. Styles, Kiss, Sheik, they love one another, bro. And it was clear, dog. It was like Voltron. Them motherfuckers linked up. It was like, dog, what are you doing with this? Whereas with Dipset, you can tell they don't rock with each other no more. And that's also hurtful too, man. You see it? Because at a time, man, they was, they was on hoes neck. You think of the missed opportunities when it comes to diplomats. And it's really a shame. They was at Ho's neck. Els and Wayne were like one and one A. Wayne took off. Els lost his teeth. And I'm not trying to be funny, but that's what happened. He got caught up on them drugs. He didn't stay focused. And Wayne took over the whole industry. Them dudes had the, I can't feel my face. They was, to, they was together. Dog. Jimmy and Max B. That shit still is crazy. And I'll give credit to Jimmy. He he was a much better rapper now than he was when he first started. He got better as he progressed. But Hustler's poem, he was on that wave with Max. Come on, bro. And I, whatever happened that made that thing sour, that's a damn shame. You look at Diplomats, man. Cam going off on fifth, taking them completely off target of Hove. Then forcing the, the whatever the beef was between Cam and Jim and Cam and Santana just crumbled. And they had it, bro. And if, if you if you listen to me was a hip hop head and it's not from New York, you know what it is. They were the only ones whose New York music was ringing out for real outside of New York. Motherfuckers won't fucking with Hove like that. And you look at what they ended up and you see Tuesday night. Tuesday is a perfect summary of what Diplomats are. Had all of the gas, Joe. Again, the better songs. They just didn't put forth the professionalism, just didn't put forth the effort. And the locks, 
They had that shit down. It was on some hip-hop version of The Temptations. You couldn't be more tight. You couldn't be tighter. You couldn't be cleaner. You couldn't be smoother. That was an A-plus performance. I've never seen the locks perform live, bro. Seeing that on Tuesday, I just I would want to see them. Because that was... Mwah. Pardon the pun. That was chef's kiss. Couldn't have been better. And although my favorites had to leave with their head held low, it still was an absolutely phenomenal night. And a reminder that when versus stays true, stays true, there's so many of these beautiful moments to still be had. Before I go, it was still nasty hours out there though. Sports Center, Sports Center fucking tweeting about Jada kissing and Kay. Y'all know where I'm going with this. We know what the social media departments look like. Not for just NBA teams or professional leagues, but all of these entities. You know, I was talking about it earlier when we started this quarter. You know, Burger King jumping in the comments of verses. They, that's nasty. That shit still rubbed me the wrong way. I saw Sports Center tweet out or, or post on IG. The, y'all seen it now. Jadakiss uh, photoshopped over Melo's body. That's nasty. And that's not to say if you're white, you can't love hip-hop. And you're not part of the course. That's not what I'm saying. But the odds are that somebody just caught this wave and they was like, oh man, shit, let's do this. And it's a clever idea. But bro, instead of trying to just rip off the culture, man, hire people from the culture who want that. Because there's so many talented, creative people. You can imagine how they could have got that stuff off. And you just looking at it as a wave. And that's the thing that bothers me. And I hope versus Peeps game. I know Swiss, Tim, they're trying to make their money. They're making their money. Don't get me wrong. They're making a lot of money with this. But again, keep it close to, to the best. Because when we get lights like Tuesday, it don't get no better, man. All right, guys, you heard the horn. That means we are at halftime. But this week, it's already been an hour. <laughs> We've already done an hour. So no halftime this week. It will be back. But I do have one house cleaning, though. Right. Um, episode 196 came out on a Saturday and then we didn't do one that following Tuesday and then we didn't do one this Tuesday. This is coming out on a Friday and that's the news. Right. The quarterly report podcast is now moving. It used to be on Thursdays. Then we moved to Tuesday for like two years. But now we're moving again and we're going to be here for a while. It's going to be on Fridays. Quarterly reports are now coming out each and every Friday. Uh, it's, it's a good time in terms of me uh, for doing my professional, my, my career, and then still spending time with my little beautiful princess and still having time to have ideas and have this uh, outlet to speak to each and every one of you. So Tuesdays, I loved you. It was a beautiful thing, but we're moving to Fridays, man. We're moving to Fridays starting, obviously, this week. So next week, it's not going to come out on a Tuesday. Don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. Each and every Fridays, we're coming back with brand new heat on the Quarterly Report Podcast. So I appreciate you guys being patient with me, being patient with a lot of the changes. I know we haven't necessarily been the most consistent on the days this last month or so, maybe two months really. Uh, but a lot of juggling going on and this just feels right. So Fridays from here on out, the Quarterly Report each and every week. All right, guys. 
That's the house cleaning. Let's move on to our third topic this week. And we're going back to the NBA as a huge summary on the free agent frenzy of this offseason. It's our third topic this week. Third quarter. So we've spent much of the time talking about NBA free agency. But as it pertains to two teams near and dear to my heart, the Washington Wizards and my favorite team, the New York Knicks. But NBA free agency just didn't stop there. Oh, no, no, no. Things have been quite mm, quite uh, interesting if not significant I don't necessarily feel like any one team made such a drastic overhaul that the entire landscape of the NBA has changed this isn't like James Harden going anywhere you know, when the Nets traded for James Harden early last season, that was a game changer. When Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving went to Brooklyn the year before, that was a game changer. Uh, when the Lakers traded for Anthony Davis, things like that, those chain, those move, those decisions, those transactions move the needle. Kyle Lowry going to Miami, it's an upgrade. And part of my question surrounding the Heat pertain more so to how much was last year, uh, how much of last year's outcome was just a matter of, you know what? Those guys ran so hard the year before. It was a weird year. Again, you look at the Lakers, look at the Heat, look at the Nuggets, look at the Celtics. Those are the final four teams in the NBA, two in the bubble. The Nuggets were the only one who advanced. And then they got handedly beat down in the second round. You know, I don't know how much of that factored into Miami. Um, I do think considering how Ben Simmons and I think Ben Simmons, he his decision or what happens with Daryl Morey, that will be uh, the biggest domino to impact two teams. Because I don't think unless the Sixers get Damian Lillard somehow, I don't think that the Sixers are going to be as good. And we'll get to Daryl Morey in a second. But when you look around the landscape in the NBA, this offseason hasn't really produced the, the game changer. Russell Westbrook going to the Lakers is interesting. And I think we are now at a point now where the Western Conference is a little more open than we had thought. LeBron is going to be 37 in December. Father time is undefeated. And that's not to say that LeBron is going to fall off a cliff, but he's in the decline phase. The idea that LeBron James is going to be a top three player next year is just crazy to me. At some point, there is going to be a regression. Anthony Davis, you can't trust him. I think every Laker fan, I think LeBron even envisioned, they win that first year together, they compete for a title, probably maybe win or at least go into the finals that second year. And then during that process, there is a handing of the baton. I feel like LeBron has been looking for the guy to pass off the torch to for a while. You listen to LeBron tell it, he wanted that to be Kyrie. And just because LeBron says it doesn't mean it's gospel. I think, you know, playing next to LeBron, you have to be a certain type of player because LeBron just demands so much attention some of it is his own doing a lot of it is his own doing but a lot of it also is you know he's the face of the league 
So you have to be a certain type of player to withstand that. By all accounts, Anthony Davis seems to be that type of player. He just can't stay on the floor. This is the year where Anthony Davis should take the mantle from LeBron. I'm worried now with Russell Westbrook's uh, acquisition that Russ is going to snatch it because AD won't take it. Shaq always had a, a funny phrase. He was he was saying how, and this is when you know he was still a quality ball player, not when he was bouncing from team to team. But he was saying you know, uh, Penny was Fredo, Kobe was Sonny, and Wade was Michael. In terms of the Godfather, right? Like Shaq wanted to pass it off to Penny, but Penny wasn't he wasn't cut for that. Sonny was too eager. Kobe was too eager to let the torch naturally pass off to him. And Wade was the perfect blend. Not a lot of that is a little spice and a little sauce, the way Shaq does it. And this also happened back when he and Kobe weren't on the best of terms, God bless the dead. But I feel like LeBron is like, yo, Kyrie, Kyrie was sunny. Well, shit, I don't know how you would break it down, right? It could be that Russ is sunny. He's too eager. And that Kyrie was Fredo and AD, the guy who should be Michael, he just don't want it. Like, there's no Michael for LeBron to pass off to. You've got two Sonnies, and then, you know, I don't want to call AD Fredo, but, you know, I, don't, I just don't know if, if AD wants it like that. But time is running out on the Lakers. I, I, I think that the Lakers present an interesting... Um, it's an interesting case study for the Lakers, right? Because I think it could work. Russell Westbrook is still a quality player, and you're only getting him for two years. And the Lakers can somehow always get cheap, quality players to come. Like Malik Monk taking league minimum. Kendrick Nunn taking league minimum is crazy to me. These guys could have gotten multi-year contracts. These are quality NBA players and young NBA players. So those guys and the cheap deals that they're playing for almost kind of offset Russ. Look, Russ, the fact of the matter is really simple when it comes to the Lakers. If LeBron and Anthony Davis are healthy, they're going to be in the mix down the stretch. I don't foresee the Lakers losing in the first round again because I don't see the Lakers being an eight seed or a seven seed in the first round again. I think the Lakers will be a top seed. And this is, again, predicated on the health of LeBron and Anthony Davis. But I do think Russell Westbrook at the four almost forces the Lakers' hand. You, of course, Russell Westbrook's going to be a quote-unquote point guard, but you got to play him the way the Rockets played him two years ago. As a four, just an attacking rim-running four. LeBron might as well be your point guard. Anthony Davis, the idea of Anthony Davis being a power four, we should be long past that now. He needs to be center. He just needs to play at center. Don't put him on the floor with Dwight. Don't put him on the floor with Marcus All, unless you have to for like you know a few minutes. Anthony Davis needs to be your five. For all intents and purposes, put Russ at your four. Put LeBron at your one, and then you have Monk and and Dunn or Horton Thomas. Put shooters in those other two positions. That's the way the Lakers should play, and I'm very much interested in seeing how Vogel operates. He's a defensive genius, obviously, but offensively. They leave a lot to, to be desired. 
But we'll see. I'm intrigued about the Lakers. Um, and that's not including just LeBron bouncing back or Anthony Davis. Because I think a lot of eyes are on those two guys anyway for different reasons. But now with Russell in the mix, you know, this is a combustible team that still has a very, very high ceiling in my opinion. From a team with a high ceiling to a team who I have no clue what they're doing. I'm talking about the Chicago Bulls. Again, this offseason, I don't feel like there was a big shift, right? I don't feel like there was one move that just changed everything. Again, that's probably going to happen whenever Ben decides where, or excuse me, wherever Daryl Morey decides to move Ben because he ain't coming back to Philly. But the Bulls, very interesting. I love the Lonzo Ball trade. You get a young player, Lonzo compliments Zach Levine so well. And I feel like Lonzo would help Patrick Williams out so well. I was never a big fan of the Vooch trade, as you guys very well know. But again, you get young, you get athletic, you add a defender. Cool. And now you can start to piece your team around. And then almost like an impulse purchase, the Bulls just threw $28 million at DeMar DeRozan. And whatever positive upward momentum the Bulls had, they just wasted it. What does DeMar DeRozan do for the Bulls? You know, we get so caught up in the idea of shot creation, shot creation, shot creation. And yes, in the postseason, you need creators who can get the ball on their own, who you don't need to design to play for, guys who can hit tough shots. But what is lost in this, and I don't know if it's because we are such an all-or-nothing society as sports fans, particularly in the NBA, that we lose sight of the fact that, yeah, you need a specific type of player to win a championship. Absolutely. But you can't win a championship if you don't make the playoffs. So, so many people are like, man, I would much have, rather have Carl Anthony Towns than Rudy Gobert. Because we, the last moment, the last memory we have of Rudy Gobert is the Clippers getting hot and busting three-point shots all in his face. Now, Rudy Gobert has to answer for that. He has to step up. He needs a huge playoff performance next season. And I could get, I don't want to bore you guys with kind of my defense of Rudy Gobert. But the point is, Rudy Gobert was in that position because he's the best player on the team who had the best record in the league last year. Like, you swap Carl Anthony Towns with Rudy Gobert, and yeah, that looks good on fucking video games but you're not winning any games so many people I, I don't know if this is a thing like do you guys use like video game ratings to help you assess talent because DeMar DeRozan scores a lot of points DeMar DeRozan has always scored a lot of points you know what else DeMar DeRozan always does on every single team he's been on every year of his career with one exception his teams are better when he is on the bench. It's fact. Because DeMar DeRozan is a lot like a lot of these guys. He's great at scoring the ball. But he's not elite at scoring the ball, right? He's not the most efficient player. He needs the ball in his hands to produce. But who else needs the ball in their hands to produce for the Bulls? Well, that's right, Zach Levine. 
And actually, you know what? So does Nikola Vucevic. And they just gave up like multiple first round picks for him. So you have Patrick Williams, who naturally, because he's not a high usage player, is going to fall back. But in reality, he's a second year player who showed you so much potential in his rookie year. He's the guy you need to be featuring more. You need to find ways to get him the ball more. Lonzo helps you in that regard. But everything that Lonzo does, I mean, Lonzo needs the ball in his hands too. Now, Lonzo's not like Levine and not like DeRozan. Lonzo needs the ball in his hands so he can create for others. But he's not like a spot-up spacing point guard threat. And neither is DeRozan. And neither is Patrick Williams. You get where I'm going here? The Bulls put together a great 2K squad, I suppose. If you look at their PPG, and oh man, this guy's got bouncing. This guy's got bouncing. This guy scores 28, and this guy scores 28. And all that shit looks really, really good. But how do you get that shit to fit together? Billy Donovan has a... I'm interested in seeing what the Bulls look like, but the, the rush to anoint the Bulls as an Eastern Conference powerhouse... Again, it made sense after the ball trade. But all of the positive, at least in my eyes, all of the positive views, all of the praise that the Bulls deserved for Lonzo Ball went right out the window when they signed DeMar DeRozan to that contract. And then when you think bigger picture, Zach Levine is going to want to get paid. He's already said as much. I want respect. Guess what? When any professional athlete says they want respect, they want that bread. Well, that means that Zach isn't going to defer to DeRozan. DeRozan just got paid, and all DeRozan knows how to do is score. So he's not changing. So the two players who bring the most promise to your team, Patrick Williams, Lonzo Ball, who do you think is going to be the ones who have to take the, the, the little scraps? It's those two. The low usage players who actually bring uh, dynamics to your team. Very puzzling move by the Bulls. Um, a lot of you guys are excited. I'll just leave it at this. I can't wait to see what happens. And finally, I've teased this a few times now. The Philadelphia 76ers are in no man's land. If you listen to the show for any amount of time, you know how much of a fan I am of Ben Simmons, despite the fact that he had a bad series, an awful series versus the, well, he had a bad series versus the Hawks, an awful last two games versus the Hawks, including that game seven performance where he was scared to dunk the ball because he was afraid of getting fouled. These are all bad things. These are all issues that the Sixers need to work out, and I believe that they're beyond the point of no return. I think Ben Simmons is going to be shipped. But the interesting thing, at least for me, when it comes to Ben Simmons and the 76ers, is not where Ben Simmons goes, though he will be the biggest piece. We talked about there hasn't necessarily been a, a game changer yet in the offseason, in the offseason thus far. If Ben Simmons goes to Golden State, that's a game changer. If Ben Simmons goes to Toronto, that's a game changer. Ben Simmons is that good, and he operates in this world where he's so underrated because he doesn't score and he doesn't shoot that that's all anyone ever talks about when it comes to Ben Simmons. I'm willing to wager that when Ben Simmons gets traded, with the lone exception if he gets traded with or with yeah Damian Lillard, 
That's the only caveat. If the Sixers can move Ben Simmons and somehow get Damian Lillard back, then forget how I say this. But I am willing to bet a lot of money that the Sixers regress. Because the 76ers have made it all but clear. We would have won the championship. We would have been right there for a title had it not been for Ben. Okay. That's clearly how you feel. And this is not just fans speaking. This is just not analysts or pundits. I believe that this is what many in that organization feels. If that's how you truly feel, we shall see. But the funny thing is, right? And I was thinking about this a lot. There are a lot of rumors that Daryl Morey wants a lot of picks. Future picks, upcoming picks, multiple picks, and young players. Think about this with me, right? If you feel that Joel Embiid is a legit title building block, championship building block, and you feel that your team is already built for a title, and it was just Ben Simmons' fault, because that's all anyone said, Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons, we didn't talk about the turnovers from Embiid. We didn't talk about the poor shooting percentage from Tobias. We didn't talk about the fact that nobody on the earth on that team outside of Ben can pass. We didn't talk about the crazy lineups from Doc. We didn't talk about any of that. It was just Ben. So if Ben Simmons is the only thing that keeps you from a championship in your eyes or being a legit title contender, why are we even discussing picks? If you feel... Ben Simmons is an anchor, and you just need to get him off. Move him for any quality player that you can find, and go ahead and win your chip. The idea that they are seeking picks in youth says to me, at least, that Daryl Morey understands this team is not a championship team without Ben. Ben has flaws, but whatever the issue is with him, Joel, Doc, and the organization, it's severed in this beyond repair. So that's why I feel Daryl Morey is looking for this huge youth movement of picks and young players because he knows Joel Embiid is on a ticking. He's a, his body is about to give up. Tobias Harris is fool's gold. And that team is built with a bunch of shooters who need someone who can play make for them. And guess what? That guy is out of the door. I'm fascinated with how this ends up, not because of where Ben Simmons plays, though that is extremely intriguing, but the behind-the-scenes war between Daryl Morey, Ben Simmons, and Rich Paul. Ben Simmons isn't answering the phone, if you believe reports. Sixers have been trying to contact him. Joel Embiid has been trying to contact him. Doc Rivers has been trying He's not picking up. He's telling everybody, go ahead and talk to my agent. His agent is one of the most powerful men in the NBA. So is Daryl Morey gung-ho enough to move Ben Simmons to a team that he doesn't want to be in with four years remaining on his team? Ben Simmons is saying, hey, I'll play in any California team. I already want to go to Toronto. I ain't really trying to go to Portland. Ben Simmons doesn't have any leverage. We've got four years. He's just His extension is just about to begin. He has no leverage. Except for the strongest piece of leverage. Would the Sixers risk upsetting one of the most powerful people in NBA circles to move Ben Simmons? To a place where they want to move him to? 
One thing that I do give Tommy Shepard so much credit for is that he is a relationship person. He builds relationships. So much of this is about what are your relationships like? Do people like you? Will people listen to you? Will people pick up your phone call? Dara Mori burns the bridge of a super agent like Rich Paul. I can't wait to see how that ends too. Hey man, let me know what you guys think about this offseason. What's been the biggest move in your eyes? Where do you think Ben Simmons ends up? Do you think Russell Westbrook can work in LA? And what the fuck is going on in Chicago? Whatever you want to discuss. Whomever you believe, whomever you think is going to be a mover and shaker, I want to hear from you. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com or tweet at the show at quarterly show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. All right, guys, three quarters are in the books, and we're going to end this show off strong with one simple phrase. Man, sit your ass down. It's our fourth and final topic this week. Fourth quarter. I don't know what's going on. When it comes to athletes, you know, growing up, there was the big I am not a role model uh, campaign from Charles Barkley. And, you know, so many people pushed back. I thought it was an ill and it was a very uh, dope commercial. But, you know, as a child, I remember so much pushback because, yeah, naturally children look up to athletes, whether it's good or bad, right or wrong. It happens. Athletes dominate so much i know speaking for my personal experience you know me as a child growing up talking to my homeboy so much of our conversations were around athletics you know we talk about jordan all the time so many of my friends my peers used to sing they want to be like mike we talked about space jam the last episode let me just think about how these athletes are put everywhere steph curry tom brady sell Subway sandwiches. You know, Naomi Osaka sells earphones. Serena Williams sells chocolate milk. And so forth and so on. We're in the Olympics. Olympians are going to be on Wheaties all day. Wheaties is gross. But you know what? You ate Wheaties as a child because you thought you could be like Bo Jackson. Athletes, whether they like it or not, they operate in this position where they're naturally, no matter what, unless your child just is not into sports. My daughter, just a, you know, just a funny joke by the God, by God, right? Uh, This guy loves sports, loves talking about sports, loves sports, boom, boom, boom. Your child, your only child, not even going to pay attention to any of it. (laughs) She'll love to play. She don't watch that stuff on TV. She couldn't tell you anybody outside of LeBron James and Serena Williams. Couldn't tell you anybody. Couldn't tell you any NFL player. Definitely couldn't tell you anybody who plays on the Knicks. Still likes Chris Tops, though. (laughs) But I bring all of that up in a segment where I'm going to tell someone to sit their ass down. Because in the NFL, and this is unfair, right? Because the NFL is doing a better job than... Other sports leagues, hell, the NFL is doing a better job than we as a nation when it comes to this pandemic, this ongoing pandemic. But when I hear Kirk Cousins talking about he's the leader of this team and he's trying to do, he'll do anything in his fight 
to make sure he can get this thing right with one pretty obvious exception that is taking the shot. I'm looking around and I'm thinking to myself, man, sit your ass down. Sit your motherfucking ass down, bro. And it's not just Kurt. Kurt took it to a level where he's talking about plexiglass and how he's going to, in the middle of December, go underneath outside of Minnesota to talk to Coach Zimmer. <clears throat> and, you know, he tries to do the, the whole QB, you know, speak. And gee golly. And all the things that seduce so many of the media in D.C. Yo, I tweeted this out the other day, man. Shout out to Colt McCoy. Colt McCoy had to share a room with RG3 and Kirk Cousins. Can you imagine how pathetic that existence had to be? Yeah, here we are, Kirk Cousins. Everybody in D.C., everybody on the radio stations kissed his ass. Bauman said he was better than Russell Wilson. You understand? Top 10 quarterback, all this other stuff. Here he is, QB1, talking about plexiglass because he wants to follow protocol as opposed to just taking a shot. Two shots. And again, it's not just Kirk Cousins. Cam Newton does the same thing. Oh, man, this is a private matter. Like, do they think? Do we stupid? I don't care what you say. But when you say that, no, everybody knows. Ding, ding, ding. That Bama, he didn't get vaccinated. Like you saying this is a private. Dak Prescott, oh man, this is a private. I think it's hip. It's not. You guys get asked private questions all the time. You all went to a combine. Invasion of privacy to the umpteenth degree. And all of you all had no problems volunteering this. People are dying. Children are getting sick now. And there's now these mutants, these variations, these variants that are now emerging because it's still this virus, this initial virus that should have been dealt with, just continues to rev up because we are not handling it like a civilized society. Look, this ain't a political statement, bro. And I'm not afraid to dive into politics, but I most times stay away from it. This? What are we doing? I feel like that could be the title of this episode. What are we doing? Kirk Cousins is talking about plexiglass. Dak Prescott is talking about HIPAA, HIPAA violations. And Cam Newton, God knows what he's talking about. Joey Bosa. All of these dudes are just showing their ass. Meanwhile, cases are popping right back up. It's just a failure of leadership. And it started with then-President Trump. But it has continued. And some of y'all ain't gonna like this. Your man Biden. Every... These are the issues. This is part of the problem with capitalism. Like, we can't shut down anymore because of the fear of what it's going to do to our economy. And whatever. I'm not an economist. I'm not an economist. Whatever. Above my pay grade. I know this. As a father of a child who is not yet 12 or 13, I should say. I'm scared out of my mind to take my, have my daughter go back into school. But they're not going to have 
school social distance or shut down because parents then have to stay home. If parents have to stay home, that means people can't go into workforce. If people can't go into workforce, people lose jobs and money, 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 money. Everything with our society is about money. There's someone somewhere who is doing the equation in their head, on their spreadsheet, on their calculator, with their teams, in their Zoom meeting or Teams meeting, saying how many lives can we justify at what cost? Putting a life next to a dollar sign, a variable. That shit is gross. And I get it. That's real life. It's always been life. That's what it is. Boom. I don't have to like it. That's why it's not my job choice. But that's where we are. And the number of high-profile athletes, LeBron too. They asked LeBron. He ain't want to give it up. To me, that's clear. They're not. That's not slick. You know what they're trying to say. When Dak says what he says, you know what he's saying. I wish one of these, at least Cole Beasley put his name next to it. He felt the way he gave it up. You can feel whatever you want to feel about Cole Beasley. But I'd much rather have somebody say that shit. Like, dog, I'm not running from this. This is how I feel. I feel strongly about it. Then I'm going to put my name to it. I'm going to put my my face to it. Don't do this. Oh, man, it's a private issue. No. I mean, you don't owe us anything. But if you feel so strongly about it, don't fucking build no plexiglass. Because children are looking up to you. It's not your responsibility, but it's part of the job. When Charles Barkley said he wasn't a role model, that's cool. You don't have to be a role model. Guess what? You were. And I'm not saying Kirk Cousins needs to change his ways because children are looking up to him. I'm not saying Dak Prescott needs to change his ways because he's the starting quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys or LeBron. Or any of these guys need to change their ways. I'm not saying that. I'm saying know that you sound stupid. Know that I think of you as a fucking fool. Because this shit could just easily, I shouldn't say easily, but we could be beyond this. That this monkey wrench has been able to do this to our, not society, but to our globe does not speak highly about the future probability of another, whether it's a variant of this or some other shit. In 18 months, bro. 18, 19 months. Look Look at where we are. Look at our lives. Look at how things have changed. Much of, much of which probably for the better part of the rest of our lives, depending on your age, This is what we are. And the coronavirus did this to us. Heaven forbid another deadly super pandemic happens. Heaven forbid. We have motherfuckers just, nope, I'm not taking it. Don't even, nope, I'm not wearing a mask. Don't even know why. You've got governors, fucking Larry Hogan, come out, ended, right? Ending the lockdown prematurely. But I understand that he was trying to get to the money. And now he's like, hey, man, everybody, 
government employee has to be vaccinated. Guys, get vaccinated. For him to do that 180 that quickly, what do you think he knows that he hasn't yet said? That's the thing that weighs on me. As a parent, my biggest fear is that my daughter is now looking at going back to school within a month. And she does not have a vaccination because there's not one yet for her. Now, my baby girl is straight. She's going back to school in Maryland. But she can always come down to Florida. and got, That's another thing, right? I moved to fucking Florida. <laughs> but we get ourselves tested regularly. And yet, and still haven't had God bless, right? Haven't been tested positive yet. But make it be rest assured, my daughter will be her in here if need be, in my house, remote learning in her Maryland school. That don't bother me. That don't make me know. Never, never mind. I will not lose sleep. But every parent is not in position to do what me and my co-parent and my daughter are in position to do. We are extremely fortunate. And these people, right, are looking to the government to lead. And these children are looking at these athletes as role models. And when they say this dumb shit over and over and over, when they don't even stand up and say exactly how they feel, they just hide. They're scared. If you won't be a fool, man, go for it. If you think that you're righteous, if you think you're making the best decision, why are you scared to say it? So to Kirk Cousins, to Dak Prescott, to Joey Bosa, to, to LeBron, all of them, Cam Newton, I got these words for you, man. Man, sit your ass down. Man, sit y'all motherfucking asses down. For real. Hey, man, I'm glad you guys enjoyed the show. That's it this week. A little longer than typical, but, man, I had a lot to get off my chest. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed it. Before we go, head on over to iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you listen to podcasts. Download and subscribe to the Quarterly Report Podcast. Let me, let your friends, let the whole world know why you enjoyed the pod. I would love if you guys would just take a few minutes out and write a few little lines telling us why you enjoy the show those reviews are so critical when it comes to the algorithms don't ask me why i just know that they are so if you don't mind please go ahead write a few words to your boy let me know what you think of the show and you can always get involved man the shows are always better when we hear from you email me at quarterly report at gmail.com or tweet at the show at quarterly show that's q u a r t e r l e e show all right that's the show this week more importantly man you guys make sure y'all stay safe and I will catch you guys back here next Friday. Remember, every Friday now, the Quarterly Report with new episodes. So I will see you next Friday for another episode of the Quarterly Report.